Good morning, everybody, and it is lovely to see the hall so full. We're definitely going to have to put some extra chairs around the tables, aren't we? This morning, to follow the theme of the character of God, I'm talking about the self-sacrificing God. The self-sacrificing God. And in our Tuesday Connect groups, we've been looking at the good and beautiful God by James Brian Smith. But this chapter on the self-sacrificing God just had to be shared with all of you, as it is so key to our faith and understanding. The cross of Jesus is front and center of our Christian theology, yet so many of us fail to grasp its significance. God freely and willingly entered our world as a vulnerable child and in the greatest act of self-sacrificing love was insulted, tortured, and crucified so we could be saved to eternal life with him. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria around the fourth century. He's a really interesting character. As a child, he would play with his friends pretending to be a bishop. And then when he joined the church and heard they were going to make him a bishop, he tried running away. He didn't make it. He was disliked by four successive Roman emperors and he was exiled five times for defending the divinity of Christ. He also had a really cool beard. He wrote a book called On the Incarnation. And today he is credited with helping the church understand why the incarnation, God becoming human, death, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus were necessary to reconcile humans to God. To better understand this, imagine that we have traveled back in time to ask Athanasius some hard questions about the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Athanasius, would you join me? Unfortunately, I couldn't persuade him to dress up or grow a beard. Can't understand why. I thought you'd given me permission to grow a beard, so I might be doing that. <laughs> no, <laughs> not unless you dress up first. Yeah. So, okay. Athanasius, a common question people ask is, why did Jesus have to become human and suffer and die on the cross? Why didn't Jesus just teach us how to live in a way that's pleasing to God? That would have worked if mankind had not fallen into complete corruption. If we humans had merely broken a law, we could repent of it. If our problem were ignorance, then education would be our solution. But the human problem is much deeper than that. We are corrupt and depraved. It is like a disease that cannot be cured by willpower or knowledge. How did we get into this predicament? It's a long story, but I'll tell it as simply and briefly as possible. God created humans in his image, which means that they can reason and create, and they can know God. 
Adam and Eve were created in freedom for fellowship with God. Yet, they were given only one commandment with which to show their love and appreciation and obedience to God. They could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree symbolized the desire to be God. For only God truly knows good and evil. They were warned that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. Well, they did eat of this tree, and they died in a spiritual sense right away. Cast from God's presence, no longer able to live in the easy fellowship of Eden, and consequently they began to die physically. Not only would they one day physically perish, but they were now living in the state of corruption. But God could have just forgiven them, couldn't he? No. God could not go back on his commandment. But God could also not let his precious creation be destroyed. What then was God, being good, to do? That was the divine dilemma. But was there no way that humans could save themselves? Could God demand that they repent? No. Repentance could not change what they now were in their nature, which was corrupt. Even if they ceased from sinning, which they could not, they would still be corrupt on the inside and under the law of death. So what was the solution to the predicament? It is not what, it is rather who that was needed to solve the problem. Only the word of God himself who also in the beginning had made all things out of nothing, could solve the human problem. For this purpose, then, God, who is not limited by a physical body or under the power of sin, entered our world. He took to himself a body, a human body, even as our own. But why couldn't God have appeared in some other form? Why did he have to have a human body? Jesus took on a body like our own because human bodies were liable to the corruption of death. He surrendered his body to death in a place of all and offered it to the Father. This he did out of sheer love for us, so that in his death all might die, and the law of death would thereby be abolished. Thus he would make death disappear as utterly as straw from fire. So he took on a body so he could die? Is that right? Yes. Corruption could not be removed other than through death. For this reason, therefore, Jesus assumed a body capable of death. It was by surrendering to death the body which he had taken as an offering and sacrifice free from every stain that he abolished death for his human brothers and sisters by the offering of the equivalent. He fulfilled in death all that was required. You stressed the words offering of the equivalent. Um, I don't understand what you mean. Complete corruption, which is the state of human beings after the fall, can only be reversed by the sacrifice of complete incorruption. Jesus was sinless. What does that do for you and me? Jesus reverses the original fall by doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. By the sacrifice of his own body, Jesus did two things. 
He put an end to the law of death which barred our way, and he made a new beginning of life for us by giving us the hope of resurrection. Jesus, you see, destroyed death. Let me switch to a related topic. Why did Jesus have to die the way he did on the cross? Couldn't he have died another way and still accomplished the same goal? Jesus had to die a very real, undeniable, public death that everyone could see. If there were no witness, witnesses to his death, no one would believe his resurrection. He would be regarded as a teller of tales. But why did he have to die in such a shameful way? Crucifixion is the most painful and humiliating form of execution the world has ever known. Couldn't he have died a more honorable death? I know you abhor the cross, as you should, but note this. A marvelous and mighty paradox has occurred. For the death which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious monument of death's defeat. Though they tried to kill him in shame, the cross stands for all eternity as a symbol of the glory of God. And one final point, how could he have reached out to the entire world if he had not been crucified? For it is only on the cross that a man dies with his arms outstretched. Athanasius, thank you. I'm beginning to understand the huge sacrifice God made in sending his son to die so we could live. Thank you. I am overwhelmed, as Mark obviously was, when I think of the outstretched arms of Jesus reaching out to embrace all mankind and the pain it cost him to die the death we should have died for our sins. I've sometimes imagined myself standing at the cross and wondering, does Jesus really love me? And his mother Mary pointing to her son and saying, what more could he have done for you? The cross of Jesus is God's way of self-sacrificing love for us. Yet we often wonder, does God really love me? Does God care about me? Am I important to God? And Jesus' mother responds to you as she did to me. What more could he have done for you? The cross is a symbol of God's love and sacrifice. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit worked in harmony to reach a fallen and broken world in order to restore it. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. In the incarnation, God, who created millions of spinning galaxies, chose to become vulnerable. And in doing so, heaven came down and kissed the earth. 
in the crucifixion, God, who could not die, subjected himself to death and in so doing lifted the whole world to himself. Jesus prophesied in John chapter 12 and verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What a promise and what a hope. If Athanasius is right in saying that the only way to solve the human problem, corruption, alienation from God, loss of the image of God we received at creation was by God stepping in himself. That still doesn't mean God had to do it. There is nothing that compelled God to save us in this way but his self-sacrificing love. What pain he must feel when we reject his love, disobey his commands, and go our own way. When our will becomes our driving force, instead of his word, we throw his sacrifice of love in his face. As Mark leads us to the cross to remember that Jesus gave his life for us, can we think about what we have heard today? Thank you. Thanks, Jill, for that. Powerful, thought-provoking. Just incredible what God has done for us. And that's what we're going to do now is remember, we, as we come to break bread together, we're coming to celebrate communion. And it is a celebration. It is a celebration. Because we remember it. And I was preparing for this. I mean, there's the wonderful scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about the Lord's Supper. Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he says this from verse 23 onwards. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it goes on to give us some warnings about not eating and drinking when we're not right with God. But in my daily readings, just in this last week, um, I was reading through 1 Corinthians 10, and I came across this part where he's, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about idols and worshipping idols and um, not to, obviously not, not to worship idols. And I read this, and I, I mean, I've read through the Bible, I don't know, 40, 40 times or so, and I'm always amazed that you see something that you sort of haven't seen before, how, no matter how many times you've read it. And I came across this in chapter 10, and um, 
verse 14, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And then he goes on to speaking about food that's sacrificed to idols. Now, we can have idols in our lives without realizing it. There are things that we at times put before God in our lives where they take priority over something that God has told us to do. And we, we don't always do it, we don't bow down to idols. I don't believe there's anyone here that is bowing down to idols. But there will be things in our lives that we give higher priority than God. And those are idols in our lives. And we've got to be aware of it. And so we've got to be aware when we come to breaking bread, are there things in our lives that we have set in place before God? That they take a priority in our life over the things of God. When God gives you something to do or go and see somebody or speak to somebody about it, and you just say, well, I'm busy with this, or I've got that to do. I can't do it right now. Is that being obedient to God? Is that saying, well, that's an idol in our life when we put something before God and what he tells us to do. And just for us to be aware of that. I don't want to speak condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But just to understand things in our lives can get in our way of our relationship with God. So as we come together, on your table is the, the bread and the, and, the, and the wine, the grape juice. Um, just sit quietly before God for a minute or two. And just contemplate on that and just see what are the things that we sometimes put before God and then bring it to them. Because verse 27 of chapter 11 says, Therefore whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, let's break bread together. We are one body, one bread. We are all together, one in the church. Jesus, thank you that you are the self-sacrificing God. That you came down from heaven, born as a babe in a humble home, raised in the home of a carpenter, not in the palace of a king. And you stepped into the fullness of of who you are when you were baptized by your cousin in the Jordan. Went into the wilderness, was empowered through the Holy Spirit, overcame the temptation of the devil. And you began to minister. Began to walk that walk towards the cross. Every step that you took was towards the cross. You never try to walk away from it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you did ask your father if it was possible that you'd not need to drink of the cup, that cup of suffering. But Jesus, you were obedient and you fulfilled all that you were called to do. You surrendered your life on the cross taking our sin 
setting us free from that sin. You were buried, and on the third day you rose again, conquering death, destroying the hold of death on our lives. And we thank you for that. And thank you that we can remember you in this way, that on the night before you were betrayed, you sat down and had a meal with your disciples, your apprentices, and you shared what this is all about. You told them what this was all about. The Passover meal that they were so used to participating in suddenly made sense to them. They saw you as that sacrificial lamb. So thank you, Jesus, that you are the sacrificial lamb. And that we can celebrate in this way. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, we're going to put up the discussion questions. I'm going to read them out. And then uh, for those that are online, we'll stop your, the, the live feed and we'll put you onto Zoom. But the questions are, question one, what stood out for you from this morning's message? Secondly, have you ever questioned whether God really loves you? Has what you heard this morning helped you to understand his love and self-sacrifice? Share this with your group. And then thirdly, pray for each other in the authority Jesus has given you. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you words of encouragement, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, and healing. Okay.